Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for that joy that only you can give. Lord Jesus, you told us in John that the joy that you have, you give to us so that our joy can be full. And I thank you for that fullness of your joy that comes as we abide in you and your presence. So I pray today, as we sit in your presence, give us that fullness of joy. Lord, to those hearts who have grown dim with that joy, those hearts, Lord, who, who still may be burdened with sorrow or cares of this world, I pray, Lord Jesus, that that dimly flame, that smoking flax, you wouldn't quench it, but you would light it with your fire of joy today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may turn your Bibles with me to Matthew 15. The Lord is taking me on a, on a study which I like to refer to my studies as a journey, because to me, it takes me on a journey. When the Lord impresses deeply on my heart and on my mind truth that I've known for many years, and I begin to study it more intently, to look at it closer, something happens to me. Has this ever happened to you? Where you begin to look at a truth very intently. And to me, uh, the Lord has given this analogy to me that has helped me a lot. Studying the Bible is like looking into a telescope. And most times, you know, and a, a large telescope is set up toward the sky, but it has a little window that you look through. Just fits your eye. And that's how I see the Word of God is my little eyes looking into the telescope of God's immense, expansive Word. And it, what does it do? When you do that, you look into the telescope, it takes you on a journey into space, right? That's where your mind, that's where your heart, that's where you go. That's what the Lord does to me. When I intently begin to gaze into a truth, it takes me on a journey. And I pray that the Lord will take you into this journey with me. This journey that I'm on right now is a journey of worship. And the last time I spoke, I spoke on a heart of worship. This morning I would like to title it, Heartless Worship. Heartless Worship. A worship with hardly any of your heart in it. Stop a moment and think about that. <clears throat> can you relate? I can. I've seen this in periods in my life where I come to a place in my serving God, in the act of worship as it's described in the Bible, Worship is not only a journey of the inner man. It acts out in service of love to the one it's worshiping. And this is true. 
whether it's a worship of God or a worship of gods, you will see this always happens. Worship is not just an adoration of the heart. It produces acts of worship that you do, that come out of your mouth, that control your eyes, that control your tongue, that control your arms, that control your legs. Acts of worship follow the adoration of the heart. Dear brothers and sisters, when this is disengaged in our worship to God, and we begin to do our acts of service to God, heartless, without engaging the adoration of the heart, it becomes heartless worship. This is so sneaky, it creeps into our lives like erosion of the ocean into the sand, the beach heads. You hardly notice it. When you're standing at an ocean and people are talking about erosion, do you see it happening? Can you see it happening in an instant? No, you can't. You have to stand there over a long amount of time and study it to see it happening. Where slowly the water is coming in closer and closer and the shore is falling away. And maybe the next year, you can look at it and say, wait, wasn't it? The water was out out here last year. Katie and I have been vacationing every... um, typically the week of Christmas and New Year, as many of you know, we go to the same spot in Florida, and it's there along the ocean, and I've noticed erosion happening. Either that or it's global warming and the oceans are rising, whatever you... (laughs) Yeah, okay. I did that one for the same reason Abel said what he did last Sunday. (laughs) Draw some response. But I've noticed there was this kind of beachhead that would come out and protrude into the water. And and over the last four or five years in particular, uh, I, there was a time when we first started going there, I could run along the beach and the water would be on the, on the, up against that beachhead. Today, I can't do that anymore. The water is yay deep at the same beachhead. Whatever's happening there, oceans rising or erosion... You couldn't stand there and actually see it. But over time, it changes what I can do with it. And this is how God spoke to me so strongly about this heartless worship. It's not like your heart is all of a sudden disengaged like an engine from a train. That rarely happens and the train car just kind of glides to a stop. An erosion under the water, slowly carrying out, but it's protruding, slowly disengaging your heart. Jesus spoke so strongly about this. It's one of the strongest warnings and strongest words of 
What is the right word I'm looking for? Not just warning, but of, of, of truth that he's spoken to people's lives, confrontational type truth. And you think, Jesus, why did you do that? I mean, the woman caught in adultery now. Boy, she should have had it. Right? That's who I'd give it to. I'd probably reserve my harshest words for that woman. Brother, you're caught in adultery. Sister, we need to have a talk. Right? Isn't that what we would do? So interestingly, how different Jesus is than we are. That was the very woman he didn't have a talk with. He was quiet and knelt down in the sand and just wrote quietly. And then gave her those famous words, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. But these guys who had heartless worship, whew, not only did Jesus have strong words, but I'm going to show you that God consistently through the prophets had reserved the strongest words of rebuke and confrontation, that was the word I was looking for, rebuke and confrontation for people who had, were eroded, their hearts were slowly disengaging from their acts of service, of worship to God. And it wasn't something you could see. Outwardly, everything seemed perfect. They had every jot, every tittle, done just right. You couldn't see it. Unless you were able to look into their hearts. And there's only one who can do that. But that's where he's looking at you today. He's looking straight into your heart. Into my heart. What does he see? Acts chapter 15. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Well, that's bad. Wouldn't you be a little grossed out if you were out working with people all day and you would go and wash your hands before you'd sit at the table and they wouldn't bother. And you would see the dirt on their hands. These guys were walking dirty, dusty roads. Who knows what they were doing? But the disciples were actually doing that. They had dirty hands. And they grossed out the scribes and Pharisees. But worse than grossing them out, they were bothered greatly, perhaps even angered, because it was a tradition. They were like you Indian guys, right? Can I pick on you? It's a tradition when, I remember years ago, Josh and Salome had us down to their house for a traditional Indian dinner. Remember that, Josh and Salome? We told them, we, show us how it's done. We want to do it real. I told them, oh, I think I'm going to get this. I'm going to eat with my fingers. And So I think actually you had to correct me if I remember right, Josh. We sat at the table and, okay, we put the stuff on the plate and I'm ready to dig in. And Josh goes, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. There's a bowl of water first. You dip the hand in your water. Now you eat with the hand that you washed, and you don't eat with this hand that's not washed. 
and you don't do anything else with this hand, right? Am I right on, Josh? You just eat. This is now your spoon hand. You don't touch anything else. That's a little how the scribes and Pharisees were, but in a very legalistic kind of approach. It's like, you don't do it any other way in the house of God. No. Improper conduct. And they came to Jesus challenging him. And Jesus answered them. Verse 3 said to them, And why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. God still says that, by the way. Did you know? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Honor your father and your mother, that it may be well with you. And you may not be put to death. Live long on the earth. It's not a light commandment. And it's interesting to me how light we as Christians have made it. Even I, in counseling and praying with people, for many years I didn't take that seriously. Oh, you're struggling with your dad, young man? Oh, you're struggling with your mom, young lady? Oh, yeah, you know, they are legalistic. Man, we need to pray that God has mercy on them. And you hear their hearts are bittered and pour out bitterness and there's this kind of like comforting consolation that I would give them. I'm not saying that's all wrong, but if it's missing this, it is wrong. It should be a consolation to bring them back to the honor that God says is right. So it goes well with you. Let's not take it lightly like they did. But you say, whoever shall say to his father or mother, anything of mine, you might have been helped by has been given to God. Oh, instead of giving my honor to you, Dad, I've given it to Jesus. Well, isn't that a famous claim in Christianity today? Are we just like them? Yes, we are. We don't like to admit it, but we are. We're made of the same stuff. And as long as you and I think we're not, we're just like them. They also didn't think they were like that. That's how I see it in my life. For years in my Christian life, I thought, yeah, give it to him, Jesus. And Jesus began to give it to me. I realized, I think just like them in so many ways. I was brought up a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a preacher's son, a PK, they called us, preacher's kid. I was taught all these things by the commandments of men to worship God. And that teaching itself wasn't wrong. Not all of it. The principles of truth were there. And I'm so thankful today for them. But there was a time in my life when I, because my heart was disengaged from the truth itself, I blamed my father for it. I was just like them. And you know what I said? Oh, the Lord now engaged my heart. Fooey with you, Dad. Like Michael likes to say, fooey. That was my attitude. Fooey with you, Dad. You cheated me from a heart that is engaged to worship. And guess what? I remember so well when the Holy Spirit convicted me so strongly and said, Phil, you have a root of bitterness. 
Kind of like Peter confronting Simon. You remember Simon the sorcerer who was walking around with Philip in Samaria and rejoicing at the great works of God. And, and Peter comes down there and Simon makes a crucial, crucial mistake. He sees the power of the Holy Spirit that Peter had within himself in ministering. He says, can I give you some money for that? And Peter turns around and says, you are caught in the gall of bitterness. That's what I perceive about you, man. That's what the Holy Spirit did to me. And thankfully that day, I asked some brothers to come and pray with me. And the Lord broke that and slowly but surely began to change my heart. And the Lord gave me a precious word in relating to my father. He said, if you honor him, it will be well with you and you will live long on the earth. And I began to do that, dear brothers and sisters. And it changed my relationship. Today, in the way that we worship God, my father and I haven't drawn any closer in our similarities or what we think is important in our worship of God. But we're friends. We're deep friends. Because God's word is truth. Verse 6, he is not to honor his father or his mother, and thus you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain... Do they worship me? Vain means you don't, it doesn't profit you anything. You don't get anything from it. You come to church on a Sunday morning and you leave just the way you came. Nothing changed. No profit. No gain. Vain. Empty. Useless. Worthless. Your acts of service, of worship, Throughout the week, whether it's in loving your husband or loving your wife or loving your children or going out and preaching the gospel on the street corner, you always come home the same as what you went. It's worthless. It's vain. It's empty. You get nothing from it. And this is the burden of my heart because, dear brothers and sisters, I've seen this in my life. It's like an erosion and you don't even know it's happening. In fact, you deny it. Someone who would confront you like Jesus confronted them. You say, that's not true. I'm doing everything right. I've given it to God. That which belongs to men, belongs to my dad and my mom. In honor, I've given it to Jesus. I'm set free from that kind of legalism. And you leave unchanged. Except for in one way, your heart is harder than what it was before. Your heart is harder than what it was when you came in. More calcium has built up in your blood veins. And the blood is running a little slower to your heart than what it was when you walked in these doors. In vain do they worship me, teaching 
as doctrines, the precepts of men. And after he called the multitude to him, he said to them, Hear and understand. Not what enters into the mouth defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? Are you? If Jesus were to confront you straight up to your face this morning and say, You, you hypocrite, you have an emphasis of doctrine in your life that produces an outward Christianity that is more important to you than your heart. I'm looking at your heart. You're looking at your face. You care more about how you look in your face than what you care about what your heart looks like. What if Jesus today were to immediately, this moment, take your face and make it a mirror image of your heart? Would you run for the bathroom? And a mirror? And a washcloth. He has the ability to do that, you know. He could do it. Would you be offended? Would you say, ah, Jesus, ah, you're wrong. You're wrong, Jesus. You're crazy. I mean, people look at my face. They don't have to see my heart. It's important how I look on the outside. It's important I dress up and, you know, not be offensive to other people. But my heart, that's between you and me. I've given that to God. That's a me and a God thing. It has nothing to do with my wife or my children or my coworkers or my brothers and sisters. No, 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 Jesus. Your emphasis is wrong, Jesus. That's what they did. They were offended. Would you be? But he answered, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be rooted up. Not maybe, shall be. Let them alone, for they are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. And Peter answered and said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that which goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and it's eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. Those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Jesus quoted Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 29, is where the Lord was speaking these words to Israel. Isaiah chapter 29. And he makes a distinction here, which really spoke to me strongly again.
We're going to begin reading, uh, let's see. Where I want to begin. Verse 11. And the entire vision shall be to you like the words of a sealed book, which when they give it to the one who is literate, he can read, saying, Please read this. He will say, I cannot, for it is sealed. Then the book will be given to the one who is illiterate. He can't read, saying, Please read this. And he will say, I cannot read. Do you you get what's happening here, brothers and sisters? There's a vision from God given to his people. A revelation of Jesus Christ. And he's giving it to the one who can read. He's saying, read it. And he says, I can't. So he gives it to the one who can't read. And he says, I can't either. There's a vision, a burden from the heart of God. A desire that's on God's heart for you and for me. And you can't read it. And I can't read it. Why not? I'm reading a book by Madame Guillon. Some of you may have known or heard of her. She lived... She was a French woman who lived back in the 14 or 1500s. If you've never read any of her works, I really encourage you to read it. She wrote a book, especially this book, which changed my life back in, I think it was the year 2000 when someone gave it to me. It's called Experiencing the Depth of Jesus Christ. You want to write that down? Experiencing the Depth of Jesus Christ by Madame Guillon or Jean, G-E-A-N, Guillon. That's G-U-Y-M-A-N, I think. G-U-Y-O-N. Anyway, uh, she, she made this statement in the book I'm reading. She said, to be left alone by God is the worst discipline you could receive. When the Holy Spirit comes and convicts you of something in a still, small voice. And you and I disregard it and move on. And he speaks it again, and we disregard it. And our hearts get a little, we begin to dig in. Lord, nah, not now, not the right time. Whatever our excuse is, the Holy Spirit may just leave it alone for a while. And this will be the case. The vision, the burden that God had for you and for me at that time. It was a word fitly spoken. But when Jesus just says, let them alone, the blind will lead the blind and they both fall into the ditch. That falling into the ditch experience is a horrible, muddy place to live. You get stuck there. And you don't even know it. You're blind. And this is how the Lord has spoken this truth to me. Phil, there are so many things like this. Honor your father and your mother. And you give it to the Lord instead of to the place where I said to give it. And you make what you think is, you know, your tradition or what you think is spiritual more important 
than what I say. And you give me all this heartless worship. Your heart is not engaged with my word. It is set after your own gain. There's a big difference. And that's what I'm going to show you. What was, what was the problem with them? The scribes and Pharisees were not just set on their tradition. They were set on that for a reason. They had a motive behind it. It was for their own gain. Their reputation was at stake here. And that's why Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. And that's why you see many of the Pharisees, it tells us, I think in Matthew, that when Jesus was crucified, that there were many of the priests or the Pharisees that had believed, but secretly, for what? For fear of the Jews. And so there's this secret, wishful thinking about Jesus, but you're afraid to engage in outright obedience because of the fear of man on your heart. Your reputation. And it leaves you blind. And when Jesus leaves you blind. Dear brother and sister. When the Holy Spirit backs away. From a truth that he has deeply impressed on your heart. And you don't think that's the worst day in your life. You are fooled. You're fooled. You're blind. Then the Lord said. Verse 13. Because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me and their reverence for me consists by rote, or the King James, New King James puts it, by commandment of men. Meaning, you allow a person to come and tell you what it means to have reverence for God and worship Him. It looks like this. And it's very systematic and cookie cutter. And this is how you do it. This is how you worship God. You come into the church and you worship Him like this. Or, and, and they begin to give you commandments of worship. And you allow that in your life. You allow people to command worship from you. Towards God. And you know what it does? It shuts the Holy Spirit down from connecting your heart. And you can do that day after day, Sunday after Sunday, year after year, and actually feel very comfortable about it. That's what happened to them. They felt so comfortable. They believed it was right. And they were offended when Jesus himself told them, you have heartless worship. Your hearts are far from me. Where is your heart right now? Is it here? Where's your body only here? Because you were maybe afraid of, maybe you just didn't want to face people asking, hey, where were you today? We missed you. Do you know how many people go to church and their hearts aren't with them? It must be the one of the greatest heartbreaking days for God, Sunday morning worship. When so many people come to do an outward act of worship, but their hearts are in their farms or at work or in another relationship, their hearts are simply not there. And God is looking over His church and He's weeping. I can see Jesus as He stood over Jerusalem and He began to weep. And He's saying, Oh, you, my church, I wanted to gather you in like a mother hen does her chicks 
but you wouldn't bring me your hearts. You just kept wandering out there with your hearts. You come here, but not with your heart. You come here because it's a tradition that you learn from men. And he says, verse 14, Therefore, behold, I will once again, I will once again deal marvelously. That means he's going to do something that is going to cause you and I and all men to marvel, to stand speechless. I'm going to do something marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelous. That means you're going to wonder and marvel at this. And the wisdom of their wise men will perish. The men you had confidence in will go down the tube. It's like you respected these men. They were the wise men in your life. And all of a sudden, all their wisdom gets flushed down the toilet in your heart. God's going to do that to you and to me. And the discernment of the discerning men shall be concealed, hidden. What? I always thought this guy had it together. He was able to discern rightly. Trashed. Obliterated. It's gone. What will you do then? What will you do then when God does this in your life? Will you walk away from God? Will you? If your heart If your heart is so hardened and calloused by that time, very likely you will. And God does these things on purpose. This is his wondrously loving kindness to his people. Jesus came at the right, perfect time to Israel. And yet they crucified him. Humanly speaking, looking at that circumstance, you would say, Jesus, you picked exactly the wrong time to come to Israel. You picked a time when their hearts were so calloused, they couldn't see you. They couldn't receive you. And anyone who did, they kicked them out of the synagogue. Remember the blind man? And how they questioned him? And Jesus Finally, the blind man says, hey, whether, whether you believe he is the Christ or a prophet or not, one thing I know, I was blind, but now I'm seeing. And then he ends up with these amazing words of courage that many times you and I don't even have the courage to say in that situation. This uneducated, blind, now seeing man says, will you also be his disciple? You know what happened? Boom! He got the boot. Kicked him right out. But you know what the end was? Jesus met him. And Jesus asked him if he would believe in him. And he said, Lord, who is the Son of Man? And Jesus said, it's me. You know what his response? He worshipped him. Right there. He worshipped. Because his heart had drawn near 
to Jesus Christ through this experience. And he confessed. In Ezekiel chapter 33, we see a condition in Israel. That amazes me. Absolutely amazes me. There's also another one that I made just came to my mind now where it amazed God. And I think it's maybe in the earlier part of Ezekiel. I'll look for it real quick. I have it underlined. I'll leave that one there. Find it some other time. But where God says that the prophets prophesy falsely, my people love it. And God says, I'm amazed. I'm amazed. In verse 30 of chapter 33 of Ezekiel, But as for you, son of man, your fellow citizens who talk about you by the walls and in the doorways of the houses, speak to one another, each to his brother, saying, Come now and hear what the message is which comes forth from the Lord. They're inviting each other to church every Sunday, going out there, Come on, come, let's hear the message that is from the Lord. They want to hear. Why do they want to hear? Verse 31, And they come to you as people come and sit before you as my people and hear your words, but they do not do them. For they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouth and their heart goes after their gain. Their heart goes after their gain. And that's what they do through the week. Pursue their own gain. But come Sunday morning, come the Sabbath day, they all invite each other to church. Come, let's hear what the Lord is saying. Why? Why would they do that? Here's why. And behold, you are to them like a sensual song. It means a song that pleases you well. By one who has a beautiful voice and plays well an instrument For they hear your words, but they do not practice them. Do you you see any part of your acts of worship to Christ and your service to Him like that? It's like you come to listen, hear a symphony. You know, you come on a Sunday morning in the same way you come to a concert. Why do you pay money to go to a concert? A lot of money in some places. And the place is packed out. Why do people do it? Only one reason. They love to hear good music. That's why. We love to hear good music and it's not wrong. Are their hearts in that music? No. Their hearts aren't in that music. Maybe the songwriter's heart was in it. They're just going with the rhythm. They're going with the beat. They love it. It gets them fired up. 
That's how a lot of Christians come to church. They come because it gets them fired up. They like a good preacher. They like his fiery sermons or his soft way of speaking. He is like a person who plays a good instrument and a wonderful, has a wonderful voice of a song. Pleases their senses. It's what you call sensual worship. Sensual worship can be heartless worship, dear brothers and sisters. Heartless. Because your heart is pursuing your own gain. And I've seen this in my own life where I sat in the pew year after year. You know what I was thinking about? I was thinking about what other people were thinking about me. I was thinking about how I can bless somebody or how important I am in this place or, or my role is next or my heart wasn't in affection, adoration to Jesus saying these words, Lord, speak. I want to listen and do. My heart was all over the place thinking about anything else except that. Lord, speak and I will obey. Samuel's heart. And the Lord reminded me of a man whom he called a man after his own heart. In our study on Wednesday night, I was so inspired again by David. And I went back. I read through David's last prayer and David's, God's testimony of David in um, in Samuel, in 1 Samuel, the Lord said to Saul, 1 Samuel chapter 12, I think it was, no, chapter 13, verse 14, but now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as a ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And so the Lord found this man after his own heart. And I was so incredibly inspired reading through First Chronicles, beginning in chapter, uh, in chapter, beginning in chapter 22. And actually, if you go back in chapter 21 is where I started, how David comes to the nearing the end of his life and, and he goes and he does a foolish thing and he numbers the people and God brings judgment to Israel because of this. And David finds mercy and repentance. And David comes to the Lord at the end of chapter 21, verse 26. Then David built an altar to the Lord there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And he called to the Lord. And I think this is the only other time that God, or the only time in David's life, God did it with Abraham. God also did it with, with um, Elijah. But in David's life, this is the only time that you can read that God lit the sacrifice. David has lit many sacrifices to God. But here David comes, acknowledging his failure. And he was an old man by this time. Getting ready to retire. And he was considering his own strength when he numbered Israel. How strong are we, Israel? And now he's in repentance. 
and he finds mercy from God. And he called to the Lord, and he answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offering. And the Lord commanded the angel and put his sword back in its sheath. And at that time, when David saw that the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, he offered sacrifice there. For the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses had made in the wilderness, and the altar of burnt offering were in the high place at Gibeon at that time. And then David began to build the temple. He said, Lord, I want to build your house. And even though the Lord had said, no, you can't build my house physically, David's heart of worship was, Lord, I'm going to do everything you allow me to do secretly. He didn't make a fuss about this. But look what he did. You can begin to go through these chapters, and especially as you come through chapter 27, 28, and especially in chapter 29, this is what he says. Then King David, verse 1, said to the entire assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is still young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now with all my ability, I have provided for the house of my God, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, the wood for the things of wood, onk stones and inlaid stones, stones of antinomy, and stones of various colors, and all kinds of precious stones, and alabaster in abundance. And moreover, in my delight in the house of God. You see where his heart was? That's where he was, his delight was, like Josh preached to us a, a few weeks ago about delighting in God. When your heart is a heart of worship, every act of service is a delight. Do you get it? Your heart isn't out there delighting in money, delighting in other things in your life. It's in one place. You've come here because this is where your heart delights to be. A heart that is here with your body is a heart of delight. The treasure I have of gold and silver I give to the house of my God over and above all that I've already provided for the holy temple. And then he names all these things that he gave. And then he asks the people, who then is willing, in verse 5, to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? But David only asked that from others after he first had given all this stuff and prepared it in secret. They didn't know it until it was all done and he was ready to die. And he gave it to Solomon. And I tell you, dear brothers and sisters, this challenged my heart so deeply. God asked me and said, Phil, what are you secretly laying in store for heaven? Where are you laying your treasures? Are you laying secretly, like David, preparing your heart? Your heart, and Even if it's something God said, I will never give you outwardly in your life. This will never be an outward ministry in your life. Yet your heart is so delighting to praise Him and to bless Him and to lay it up in store for Him that you do it secretly. And Jesus was so clear to us. He said, we lay up treasures in heaven 
Well, there'll be a day when they'll be there as a reward. But if you're coming with an outward worship, you have your reward now. It's the praise of men. It all looks good. But will your children inherit that praise? The only inheritance of worship and praise that will benefit our children. Dear brothers and sisters, let's not get this wrong. It will be the secret laying up in treasures in heaven day by day with a heart like David, delighting in it. And our children are going to see where our delight is. They're going to see that's what makes dad and mom tick. That's their delight. Preparing a heart of worship for our children. And Solomon lived on that for the next 20 years as he built the temple. Oh, my brothers and sisters, that's what I want to live for. And I'm speaking to you this morning, these words into my very own heart. And the Lord is deeply challenging me. And I've seen there were some offenses there. There was some blindness there. That Jesus had to open my eyes. And there still may be some there. But I'm coming to the Lord in a fresh and living way and saying, Lord, open my eyes. With the heart of the blind man who sat by the wayside. The heart of Bartimaeus. And he cries out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people told him to shut up and be quiet. And if people tell you to shut up and be quiet, will you keep crying for sight in those areas where you cannot see? You'll receive your sight. And you'll follow him like he did. God bless you.